Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. So again, welcome everybody. I'm excited to jump into tonight's um, chapter of the Refuge Recovery book. Um, we are at the seventh factor of the eightfold path to recovery. It is mindfulness. Mindfulness is key. I'm excited to talk to you about mindfulness tonight and to look at what the book says and have some discussion about it. Um, but just remember that mindfulness comes in the context of the Buddha's teachings uh, as the seventh factor after uh, the um, explanation and the practice of the first noble truth. And here in Refuge Recovery, we practice the first noble truth uh, both in reflection and meditation of turning towards the suffering in our life. And we also do a written inventory where we put it all down on paper and look at the suffering that addiction created in our lives and all of the other ways that uh, we suffered that um, didn't have that much to do with addiction and maybe how some of our addictions were in response to some of our suffering uh, rather than the outcome. And the second noble truth, which is that um, the, the root experience of addiction is a repetitive craving and repetitive craving is universal, something that all living beings experience. But those of us who cross the line into addiction have a special exaggerated relationship with, um, with, uh, just a moment, uh, with um, craving. And so in our, uh, in our um, practice of refuge recovery, we have another um, in-depth inventory of looking at, can we identify some of the um, potential factors in our life that led to addictive craving, not just normal human craving, but that addictive compulsive uh, experience of craving that for us manifested as alcoholism, drug addiction, um, food addiction, um, money, people addiction, sex addiction, whatever manifestation, um, you know, we believe that all, all addictions come from the same root and that there's, you know, and, and addiction uh, manifests in, in many different ways. And uh, many of our members find that um, it manifests itself in one individual in many different forms, the drug addict. Uh, becoming the food addict, becoming the sex addict, becoming the, and this sort of, you know, addiction coming up in one's life in different ways. So, of course, Refuge is encouraging us to look deeply at all of the um, manifestations and perhaps uh, identifying some of the underlying causes and conditions that led to addiction. The third truth uh, which is the encouragement, is the um, kind of promise that recovery is, is possible, that we human beings have the power, we have the potential, we have the ability to recover in this lifetime through our own efforts, 
through uh, do, uh, putting in the energy, practicing the renunciation, taking refuge in uh, the practices and the processes and the actions that will lead to our recovery, taking, taking refuge in the Dharma, the path and the truth, uh, and taking refuge in each other in the Sangha that uh, very clearly uh, what Buddhism offers, what refuge recovery offers is a relational path to healing. Uh, part of our healing is through our uh, relationships with each other and mentoring each other and being mentored and coming to the meetings and showing up to what we call Sangha. And the fourth truth is the Eightfold Path itself. And we're here on the seventh factor, which just as a reminder, the first factor is understanding uh, reality as it is. Uh, the second factor is developing, uh, aligning our life with positive intentions. Uh, the third factor is participation in community and, and being more mindful and, and careful of our communication, how we communicate speech. Um, the fourth factor is about actions and how do we behave and what do we renounce? You know, this is the five precepts, the uh, action of, of um, abstinence, of staying uh, free from drugs and alcohol and uh, our own bottom line behaviors around other addictions. Um, the uh, fifth factor is about our relationship to money and work and the karma that we produce in uh, our livelihood. The sixth factor we covered last week, which is about the effort, the energy, the commitment, the ongoing long-term practice, you know, that, that what Buddhism offers, what refuge recovery offers as a Buddhist approach uh, is not a quick fix. It's a, uh, even one day at a time is too much. It's one moment at a time, present time awareness and the transformation, the recovery, the healing, the awakening it takes effort and takes long-term sustainable uh, practice. And uh, tonight we open to the, the seventh factor to mindfulness. I'll say a couple things um, commentary-wise before I jump into the text. One is, and I feel, feel like most people are aware of this, but maybe not everybody. Oh, it, might, it might not even be that important to, to, to many, but that mindfulness, you know, we're at a place in, in our culture in America, in the West at this point where mindfulness has become a buzzword and mindfulness has, uh, you know, gotten onto the cover of Time Magazine and, and, uh, and uh, it has infiltrated the secular domain of mindful of uh, psychology and medicine and neuroscience and um, and has been divorced from its roots uh, as though it's just like this thing that, uh, you know, the psychologists and the scientists have um, discovered. But um, the reality is, the, the truth is that uh, mindfulness is something that was discovered by Siddhartha Gautama, the person that we refer to as the Buddha, 2,600 years ago. There was um, no such thing as uh, any kind of mindfulness teachings in any other religious or spiritual traditions before the Buddha. And all of what we know of mindfulness is, is Buddhism. Uh, even no matter how much they secularize it and, and break it down, it, it is uh, the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, one of the reasons that I 
created refuge recovery as a Buddhist um, path to recovery uh, rather than secularizing it and saying we're mindfulness recovery or we're something else uh, is because I, I have so much gratitude that uh, mindfulness exists, that the Buddha taught mindfulness and it just feels honest and um, to have integrity around we are practicing something that was taught uh, 26, you know, has been taught by millions of people for the last 2,600 years. And there's something uh, potent to me about that uh, lineage that we're part of, of the millions of, of Buddhist meditators around the world for the last uh, many centuries. Um, so mindfulness, although we don't get it, you know, it's like in this, the way that we're taking this path very, uh, kind of step by step, and we're you know we're coming towards the end of the eightfold path before we start to talk about mindfulness. Uh, the reality is, all of you you know know that have read the book. We encourage that the practice of mindfulness starts from the beginning, and this eightfold path that we're talking about um, is not like first you do one and two. It's not linear like that. It's a wheel. You think of the Eightfold Path as a wheel with eight spokes. And although now we're talking about the seventh spoke because it makes sense to go, um, you know, the way that they're numbered. Uh, my sense is for me and my recovery, it was mindfulness that came first. And I think that that's true for so many of us is that first we start practicing mindfulness and then we look at what do I understand? What are my intentions? How are my behaviors, my livelihood? Everything else uh, usually comes after one establishes a mindfulness practice. That may not be true for you. So that's not always true, but that was certainly my experience. So I'm excited about talking about mindfulness, the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path tonight. It starts on page 77 of the uh, Refuge Recovery book. Chapter 11, Mindfulness Meditations. We develop wisdom through practicing former, formal mindfulness meditation. This leads to seeing clearly and healing the root causes and conditions that lead to the suffering of addiction. We practice present time awareness in all aspects of our lives. We take refuge in the present. Mindfulness or present time awareness is essential to finding our way on the Eightfold Path. In fact, all the other factors of the path depend on mindfulness of the present moment. Present time awareness is the experience of knowing what is happening as it happens. Our recovery depends on us being present in mind as well as in body. That is the only way to heal the wounds that led to our addictions and to change our relationship to craving and the repetitive habituations. Mindfulness is defined as non-judgmental, investigative, kind, and responsive awareness. This sort of awareness takes intentional training of the mind. Our attention is naturally scattered, the mind constantly swinging from present to future, to past, to fantasy. The Buddha referred to this tendency of our minds as the monkey mind. 
even for those of us who know the present time, know that present time awareness is the key to recovery, getting the attention to stay in the present is a difficult practice. We are trying to train the monkey to be mindful of the present time experiences of thoughts, feelings, sensations, and actions. We must vigilantly and continually redirect the attention to the here and now. The formal training in mind, of mindfulness takes place in sitting meditation through redirecting the attention or awareness to the breath, body, feeling tone, and process of mind, as well as the states of mind, the state of mind that has arisen. Yet life demands more than just paying attention during formal meditation periods. We must have the intention to be mindful and aware during all aspects of life. first foundation, the Buddha breaks these, um, this, it's really just one practice. It's really just that last sentence. How do we pay attention in all aspects of our life, both internally and externally? So he says, well, let's break it down into four categories, what we call foundations. First foundation, the body is the best, the body is the best place to start through redirecting the attention from the thinking mind to the felt sense of the body, we begin to condition our attention to be in the here and now. This is done by returning our attention to the physical experience each time it wanders into thinking about the past or future. The practice of mindfulness of the breath is especially helpful at the outset because we are always breathing, given that the breath always happens in the present moment. We know that if we are aware of the sensations of the breath, we have successfully brought our attention into the present moment. This first level of mindfulness offers us an experience of relaxation and allows us to start, let, to, start to let go of identification with the thinking aspect of our mind. By learning to ignore the thinking mind and pay attention to our bodies, we can successfully intervene on the cravings, doubts, fears, and other negative mind states that could lead to relapse. But there is much more going on here to pay attention to than just the breath. So many sensations in our bodies, so many activities, the heart beating, internal organs processing food, skin sensations, bones, ligaments, saliva, blinking, eardrums, being stimulated by sounds, eyes by images, noses by smell, tongues by our taste. Our bodies are full of present time information. What am I feeling, seeing, smelling, tasting, and thinking. Mindfulness is directed toward every aspect and activity of the body, posture, movement, emotion, everything. We can focus on the four elements of our bodies through meditation, becoming aware of the heat, water, 
earth and air within the process of our bodies. In other meditations on the body, we may focus on scanning our attention from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet, to mindfulness, to both the surface and internal parts of the body. We'll visualize the organs, muscles, and bones that create the body. As we play, pay close attention to our bodies, we begin to gain insight into the impermanent nature of all the phenomena of being, thoughts, feelings, and sensations arising and passing. We can also turn to a meditation on the impermanence of life in the body itself. We reflect on the inevitable death and decay of our bodies. Through death meditations, we come to accept death and to learn to cherish life. The breath and body are only the beginning of the mindfulness practice. Once we have established some level of present time awareness and attention to the physical sensation of the body, we undertake training to bring attention to the feeling tone of the particular experience we are paying attention to. So I'm gonna pause here before I continue reading and um, just sort of reflect and comment that it's incredibly common that um, people get stuck on the first meditation instruction, mindfulness of the breath. What the Buddha had to teach here was so much bigger. And in order for us to really recover and really get free, it's so much more than paying attention to our breath. It's only the first instruction, you know, like maybe there's, I've never gone through and counted, but there's dozens of different meditation instructions in this mindfulness practice. There's in this instruction that says, breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. And then it goes on to say, know the body as the four elements. Know the impermanent nature of all sensation in this body. Know the body as the 32 parts. Know the body as uh, impermanent and reflect on the corpse and the decay and the impermanent nature of this physical form that we're in. So, so important. I just want to encourage if if you're new, breath is a great place to start, but we have to um, go deeper. We have to go beyond that. One of the reasons that I think people get attached to the breath is because there's relief. Just ignoring the mind and coming back to the breath. This was certainly my experience in early meditation. It was so much relief of finding out I could disengage from my thinking mind and bring my attention to the simple sensation of am I breathing in or out? There's a relaxation that happens. There's a, a freedom from uh, being identified with the judging mind or the fear or the craving or whatever's happening in the mind. So some of us get addicted to the breath meditation and it's a limiting process. So important to really study this understand that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's training wheels. And, you know, you're, you don't want to be an adult uh, meditator going down the street with your training wheels on. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. <laughs> like, we have to learn to ride the bike um, without just coming back to the breath over and over forever. Um, so I know you hear me. Second foundation, and in so many ways, I feel like 
all of what we're doing in the first foundation, getting present in the body, is in preparation for this second level. Every single experience has a feeling tone to it. A quality of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality that we can perceive when we are mindful. An awareness of the experience and its pleasant or unpleasant tone is essential if we are going to progress progress on the path to recovery. Our habitual reaction to pleasurable experience is to cling to them, often falling into addictive patterns with pleasure. Our habitual reaction to unpleasant experiences is to resist or push them away. Clinging and aversion are the cause of most of our suffering we create for ourselves and the roots of all addiction. In some ways, I feel like this, I mean, I could probably pick a lot of pieces, but in some ways, I feel like this is the most important part of this whole book. If we can really see this, if we can really see this directly, not intellectually, but the meditation brings us into awareness of, oh, I cling to pleasure, I'm aversive. Not just knowing that, but seeing it in real time gives us the intervention. Mindfulness becomes the intervention. Oh, I can let go. I don't have to keep clinging. I can see that leaning towards, but I can acknowledge the impermanent process rather than clinging to it, letting that pleasant experience arise and pass. Likewise with pain, rather than resisting it, I can tolerate it. I can learn to have compassion. Uh, I define mindfulness here as present time, kind, investigative, and responsive. This second foundation gives us the information of how to appropriately respond rather than habitually react. This is page 80. I want to encourage you to look at this, to read it, to digest this uh, second foundation, so important. This level of mindfulness then offers us awareness of the causes of addictions. Through being mindful of the experience and its feeling tone, we can directly examine our inner relationship of clinging to pleasure and aversion to discomfort, which allows us to respond to it deliberately, choosing to let go of the root cause of what would become an addictive tendency or stressful suffering. Without intentional mindfulness at this level of experience, we have no choice but to stay stuck in its habits in the habits of aversion and clinging. This keeps us locked into creating a miserable existence. Paying careful attention to the present moment of our relationship with ourselves allows us to meet the unpleasant, the neutral, and the pleasant with calm and understanding. At the heart of our recovery is a simple choice. Either we stay addicted, clinging, craving, and avoiding, and continue to suffer, or we can begin to refrain from the substances, activities, and clinging, practicing mindfulness and letting go, and finding a deeper sense of well-being well and recover. 
So again, I just want to say, I know that this is a short, you know, one page, just, just page 80 here in the book. Um, but there is a diamond here. There's a, <laughs> this is the Buddha's, uh, you know, brilliant uh, uh, intervention of how do we suffer as human beings? Um, and how do we get free from it? We, you know, we get mind, without mindfulness, I make this statement here. Um, without, without mindfulness of this second foundation, I'm not so sure that we have much free will. I don't know what you think about free will of your, you know, did you choose to become an alcoholic and an addict? <laughs> Was that your free will? I mean, I chose that. Do you choose to suffer? Do you choose to cling? Do you choose to hate? Are those all conscious volitional choices? I think that the Buddha would say without mindfulness, you're not actually driving the, the ship, you're reacting. And that with mindfulness, you can start to choose. You can uh, develop some free uh, will and ability to, to respond wisely. And so that's why the second foundation must not be skipped. Um, and, you know, some of you, and I know that I've been, you know, studying and practicing mindfulness for decades, and I've sat with some teachers, mindfulness, you know, Buddhist teachers, who don't even teach this. And I've done long meditation retreats where they skip the second foundation, and they go right to emptiness of, of all phenomena and, and watching the mind. And um, my feeling is that this is a step that cannot be skipped for anyone uh, that's sincere about waking up. And it's especially important for us recovering from addiction because all of our addictive tendencies are in relationship to what's pleasant and what's unpleasant and neutral. And that's where relapse is gonna occur. We have to be extra mindful of this second foundation. But there's more. <laughs> Third foundation, page 81. The third level of mindfulness brings attention to the process and contents of our mind. Having established present time awareness of the body and feeling tone of experience, we then turn our mindfulness to the mind itself. This is done through paying close attention to our states of mind as they arise, including all of the emotional experiences that are felt both mentally and physically. By paying close attention when the experiences of greed or anger are present, we begin to investigate what the state of mind feels like, where it arises from, where it goes, and how we relate to it. This takes a level of intentional non-reactivity. We receive with awareness the state of mind and know it through direct experience, yet we allow it to arise and pass without trying to get rid of it or hold on to it. Rather than reacting with our usual attachment or aversion, taking everything personally and feeling the need to do something about it, we relax into the experience, seeing it clearly and simply letting it be just as it is. This is important on two levels. First, we become intimate with our mind states and how they affect our mood and actions. Second, we begin to see more and more clearly that states of mind and emotions, like everything else, are impermanent. 
With mindfulness, we have the choice of responding with compassion to the pain of craving, anger, fear, and confusion. Without mindfulness, we are stuck in the reactive pattern and identification that will inevitably create more suffering and confusion. This is certainly a radical practice, turning the attention toward the mind. It feels like a form of internal dissonance. We are rebelling against our mind's long-held habits. We are practicing internal discernment about what thoughts are wise and worthy of attention and what thoughts are unwise and deserving of dismissal. This is one of the highest forms of recovery and inner freedom. No longer slaves to the dictates of the addict mind. We gain the ability to choose for ourselves how we respond to thoughts, feelings, and sensations of being alive. When we break free from the conditioned identification with the mind, we open a door to relating to our minds rather than from them. Then when your mind encourages you to drink, use, or engage in any of your addictive behaviors, you can simply ignore it or respond directly to it by saying, nice try mind, thanks for sharing. <laughs> so key, you know, and again, I wanna comment a little bit here. The second and third foundation, um, it's one of the reasons why I was, you know, dissing the training wheels of just coming back to the breath and people 10 years in and 20 years into their meditation practice, continuing to ignore their minds all of the time, therefore never developing an intimacy with their minds, still taking it so personal, no matter how good they get at uh, ignoring it. And so this is where the Buddha says, don't, you know, start by ignoring your mind, break your addiction to the mind. But once you've established some mindfulness in the body, how, what's it feeling like? And then open to your mind. And what's your mind feeling like? Observe the impermanent, impersonal, unsatisfactory nature of thought and that how some thought is volitional and some thought is uh, non-volitional. And so important to, to do this third, second and third mindfulness. Starts with the body, expands to the feeling tones asks us to observe and become uh, not, you know, to know one's own mind and how it, how it works, both the content and the process. Nice try, mind. Thanks for sharing. Fourth foundation. The fourth level of mindfulness is paying attention to the truth of the present time experience. That is, paying attention to and knowing when suffering is present, when craving has arisen, and when contentment and peace are being experienced. So this is, um, again, commentary here. This is the first three noble truths, mindfulness of suffering, mindfulness of the cause of suffering, mindfulness of the cessation when there's no suffering, turning our attention towards, ah, oh, this is contentment, feels like this. This level of mindfulness extends to all of the experiences we have, including the awareness of the arising and passing of the five hindrances, of craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, restlessness, 
sloth, doubt. The six senses of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, thinking, and feeling. The four noble truths of suffering, the, it, the cause, its end, the path. The seven factors of enlightenment, which are the experiences of mindfulness, investigation, tranquility, equanimity, patience, rapture, and concentration. Through mindfulness, we have insights into the attachments, clingings, and cravings that perpetuate our addictions. All of these meditation instructions are applicable to any posture or movement of the body. Whether done walking, standing, sitting, or laying down, mindfulness and contemplative inquiry can and should be practiced. Eventually, all of these meditations, all of the four foundations, become one. The mindfulness of the breath and body lead to the awareness of the feeling tone, then expands to the awareness of the content and process of the mind, and finally expands to include all of the phenomena related to the mind-body process. This is the meditative training called the path of insight. Sati, the, the word for, for mindfulness is sati, satipatthana, four foundations. Um, if, we, if you are familiar, if you, know, you hear about vipassana, that uh, means insight. And vipassana is the meditation based on these four foundations. And when then translated into English, it's called insight meditation. And it's what we're doing. It's, it's what the, the, the seventh factor of uh, refuge recovery of the Buddha's teaching here. Uh, and this is key. This is necessary. I, uh, you know, for our recovery path, this is so foundational. Of course, we want to say that about every aspect of the Buddha's teachings. We don't get to, you know, pick and choose. We don't get to um, skip anything. But mindfulness is necessary for the rest of the path to unfold, to truly understand we have to be mindful. To truly have uh, clear, uh, wise intentions, we have to be mindful. In order to be careful with our communication, and we have to be mindful. Careful with our actions, we have to be mindful. Uh, livelihood, mindful. <laughs> Effort, mindful. Um, so this seventh factor, I can't say it enough how core it is, how key it is and that it's not just paying attention to our breath. Breath, body, feeling tone, mind states, and then the uh, reality that is arising in this mind, body, heart process. So when you look at this, you know, and, and I, I skipped in the book where it says, you know, okay, there's this meditation, there's this meditation, um, you know, but there's several meditations for the first foundation. There's the breath and body, there's the scanning meditation, there's the uh, meditating on the four elements, there's the meditating on the uh, death and the corpses, there's the second foundation of turning towards the feeling tone, there's the third foundation. Uh, in that fourth foundation, there's, you can be mindful of the seven factors of awakening on the five hindrances, on the four noble truths, on the six sense doors. So there's, um, you know, on, on some level it's one meditation, but really um, there's a whole bunch of foundational practices to develop here before it comes becomes seamless. It's 
maybe there's an analogy about like learning learning an instrument and you need to learn your chords and your progressions before you just um, start playing some freestyle rock and roll. <laughs> you gotta learn the basics. So that's our um, chapter for tonight. Love to have some conversation with you, discussion, uh, love to keep it mostly about mindfulness. It's such a good and big and rich topic. Um, but of course, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments about anything, opportunity for us to interact a little bit. What are your I thoughts? I have questions. Yes, jump in. Um. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery, and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.